I've already, um, by a little bit, introduced Rick to you this morning. Again, he is our district Hispanic ministries coordinator. I got it right. Yeah, I wouldn't say it at all. Oh, <laughs> so long. He's a, he, yeah, it is long. <laughs> Uh, district is you got it. You got D and uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, he's uh, he's got an enjoy a joy, an enthusiasm. I I trust will be contagious for all of us today. Um, he's got some things that God has laid on his heart to share with us and to challenge us, and I trust we will we will be challenged, and then obedient to the challenge that God lays before us. And uh, Rick, let me, I just want to take just a moment to pray for you before you come and speak to us today. Father, thank you for Rick Santana, for your call on his life, for the leadership he's giving to our district, especially as we seek to be more effective and intentional in reaching to the Hispanic members of our communities across this state. Father, may the anointing of your Holy Spirit rest upon Rick as he shares with us today, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, brother. Amen. 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 Um, I'm going to apologize right from the beginning for um, being too transparent. I'm going to apologize for uh, maybe not being politically correct, uh, but I'm just going to ask you to forgive me for all those things, okay? Right up front. Um, um, uh, the district uh, superintendent, he says hello. He sends his blessing this day. And um, I really believe that God wants to do something great with his church. And, you know, I've been, uh, I'm human, so I struggle. And, and I've been struggling a lot with, I'm going around and I'm talking to different churches about reaching people. And I think people look at me and say, well, he's, he's, he's trying to reach Hispanic people. And I think they got me all wrong. I'm not really trying to reach just Hispanic people. I just want to reach people, you know. And so um, if, we, if we reach Hispanic people while we're reaching people, we'll praise God, you know. Uh, because I believe that God has called us to that, to reach. And so um, in that time of, uh, of dealing with what God was dealing with in me, which I'll talk a little bit about a little later, um, he... Um, he spoke to me this word, virtue. And so I looked it up, and virtues are habits or patterns of practice. Uh, they are not a simple occasion of actions, but ongoing practices that become habitual and that mark one's character. And so the Lord gave me this scripture in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. In the King James Version, it says... But ye are chosen, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should shew forth the praises who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In the English Standard Version, it says, the excellencies, and in the New Revised Standard, it says, the mighty acts of him. And that really uh, impacted me because I started to think, if I am a holy and chosen people, if I am uh, his priesthood, you know, and, and God is calling me to, to show the world, to show the world how wonderful that he is. And, 
there's some things that I have to have in place, uh, specific things that I have to be able to do. So, so I want to, um, and I want you to look at this picture very carefully. It's not me. Okay? But when I picked the picture, I picked it because I thought about how, how she felt and how, 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 how aggressive she's running and it kind of just shows in the whole picture. And so, um, my wife, she really wants me to get in shape. So every once in a while she says, you need to get out there and start running. And, and I get all motivated. I say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go start running. I'm going to go start exercising. And as you could tell by my great physique, <laughs> I haven't been too successful, right? But when I, when I go out there and I start jogging and I start walking and maybe just barely, you know, moving, <laughs> this is how I feel. I feel like I'm being challenged and I'm being moved. And I, when I get up that little hill, I'm like, oh, my God, that little hill is going to kill me, you know. And I'm, on the way down, I'm thinking it's going to be easier on the way down. And sometimes on the way down, it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be, you know. And, I'm, and my body starts to ache. And I'm talking about just like the first block. And my body's already <laughs> aching and I'm feeling my muscles here. And, and, and there's, this, there's this thing happening and my body starts talking to me. It starts telling me, what are you doing? This is not you. This is not what you're used to. Why are you doing this to yourself? Is it worth it? You know, I'm getting to the, and I'm just getting to the corner and I'm thinking, I should head back before I can't make it back, you know? And so when I finally get to the house, um, this is actually how I look. Like that. Or at least when I get to the, the corner, <laughs> fall to the ground, start asking the Lord to do something in my life, you know. But I usually lay like that in front of the house for a few minutes because I want to go inside and, and I don't want to be all out of breath and like I'm dying. I want to go in and go, honey, I'm home. And yeah, it was a great run, <laughs> you know. And I want to feel like she's satisfied that I went out and I, and I ran the block. <laughs> But the reason why I end up that way is because my body is not used to it. I don't have any practice. It's not, it's not part of my DNA in the moment. It's not part of what uh, I'm used to. And I believe that we as a church, we, ha- we are called to be virtuous. And I want to I explain to you that being virtuous doesn't always mean to be good. It just means that eventually you have a mark of character based on your practices. Well, obviously, based on my practices, I am not running around the block. I'm not doing that. And you can see it. It's very obvious. It's an obvious thing. And as a church, it's very obvious when we are not practicing specific things to reach the lost. So, I want you to take away three things today. Choosing what you practice. Practices become habits and habits manifest character. So, choosing what you practice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, in what we call the love chapter, um, it's really a chapter that challenges us as Christians. Um, It talks about giftings. It talks about all the great things that can possibly happen in the church. 
great music, you know, great Sunday school, great outreach programs, all this great stuff. But where there is no love, let me tell you. And love is, is, is something that I believe every one of us should have and should be in our hearts. Love trumps whether I'm black or whether I'm white or whether I'm Hispanic. It trumps it all. It trumps what kind of foods we eat or what kind of music we listen to. It trumps it all. Love moves mountains. I thought I loved everybody. You think when you come to the Lord, you, you love everybody. Um, this, my wife and I, we've been in ministry 22 years. I was very young when we started. I was 22 years old. I was a kid. I definitely didn't like anybody back then. <laughs> 22 years later, I thought, yeah, I got this love thing down. I got it down. I love people. Hallelujah. And um, the district assembly rolled by last June. This last June. Not that long ago. Last June. And everybody heard Mark Bain, right? He's just talking away and he's just challenging us. And I'm like, hallelujah. Amen. You know? Father's Day was the very next Sunday. You guys remember Father's Day? And um, we went over... My wife and I, she was like, we were getting to church, and she was like, you need to get a couple of more cards. I said, okay, you know what, there's a Dollar Tree right around there. We'll just get a few more cards, and, and we'll go to the Dollar Tree. So it was about 8.30, but they opened at 9. Drove up to the Dollar Tree, and they're closed, and we're just waiting there. And there's a lady standing there, a white lady. And she's standing there. And I started thinking about everything Mark Bain said. And... My wife opens the window and says, hey, is the store closed? Yeah, they open at 9, and they have that conversation, you know. And, and my wife closes the window, and I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, I'm going to go speak to her about Jesus. And I'm still sitting in the car. I'm looking at her, and I say to myself, I don't talk to white people. So it came to my mind. Talk to white people. I've never, I don't do ministry to white people. I do ministry to Hispanic people. I don't talk to white people. So I get out of the car. I said, No, I'm going to talk to her. I get out of the car. <laughs> I close the door. I look at her. And I say, I'm going to talk to her. I don't know what to say to her. You know, what do I say, Lord? And the Lord speaks to me. I'm telling you, He speaks to me. He's like, just say hello. <laughs> hello. Just say hello. You see, that mountain was so huge. In my mind, and in my heart, and in my experience, and in my past, and in my roots, that mountain was so huge, I thought I couldn't reach her. Her name is Angela. I said hello. Hello, and I said, hello, and she says, hi. And I said, you enjoying your Father's Day? She goes, yeah, my dad just dropped me off. And I said, that's great. I'm glad your dad dropped you off. And, and I go, and she says, but this was the worst week of my life. I said, really? Why? By then, my wife had rolled down her window, and she's listening. She says, my only daughter 
try to take her life this week. So I told her, can we pray for you? You know, the conversation was a little longer, but we got to the point where, can we pray for you? And my wife got out and we hugged her. We loved her. And we prayed with her. But I almost didn't get out of that car. And that's what scared me. And that's what should be scaring the church. That we're almost not willing to get out the door. Because what's out there is different than what's in here. What's out there sounds different, tastes different, feels different. Because our communities have changed. And my experience tells me I can't reach them. But love can move mountains. Practices become habit. You may not be used to it right now, but you can get used to it very quickly. So, it's a great book called uh, Articles of Faith, compiled by Gary Leonard. It's a Nazarene book, right? And it's um, talking about the triune God, and the author says this. The heart of Jesus Christ is to do his Father's will in the constant embrace of the Spirit's anointing. The triune God is, as someone has so well expressed it, no solitary God. He is rather a community in love. Where each of the three persons pours his life out for the other two and receives his life back from them. Our best human analogy, any family that constantly practices other regarding love is only a flickering wick next to the Trinity's brilliance. And C.S. Lewis says this, he says, We as Christians trust not because a God exists, but because this God exists. This God of love. And I think that it's very easy within our own context to say that we love. It's real easy in my home with my babies to say that I love. But I might not say that when I go to your house. I may not love your kids and you may not love mine. You know what I'm talking about. This is for real. This is a reality. You may go in there and say, oh, you have a nice little kid. And then you go out the door and you go, thank God that kid lives here, not my house. (laughs) It's the truth. It's the truth. But love, man, it challenges us. It causes us to go beyond what we feel and what we experience. It, it tells us that we have to sacrifice way more. It, it's not sacrificing time. People start saying, oh, we sacrifice time or we sacrifice money. No, it's sacrificing your opinion and your feeling. It's sacrificing your culture and your music. 
It's sacrifice. Don't touch my music. <laughs> it's a big thing even for me. My kids, they want to play their rap, right? And they're in the back of the car and they have their Christian rap. And, and I'm like, no, man, I just want to listen to some, you know, Ruby Duke. I don't know if you guys know Ruby Duke. But <laughs> back in the day, Ruby Duke or Brian Duncan or one of those guys, you know. But they want to hear their rap. And I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to because it's not what I like. See, love moves mountains. And we have a mountain that is surrounding our churches today. And there's people on the other side of that mountain who need Jesus Christ. They don't need my music. They don't need my food. They don't need my language. They need Jesus. So practices, they become habits. Bless the name of the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 9 it says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. We have learned and received and heard and seen. What we have learned and received and heard and seen. You see, when Jesus came into my life, I was 19 years old. My dad, he's a pastor. My dad's a pastor. He just retired not too long ago. And, um, and I was a PK born under the pew because he decided that he would become a pastor the year I was born. I told him, I don't appreciate that. <laughs> so he always says I was born under the pew. And I'm not the oldest. I'm number four. Because Hispanic people, we have a lot of kids. So we're six. We have six kids and all boys. And yeah, we were. It was fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. But it took 19 years in a church where the gospel was being preached for Jesus to reach me. 19 years. And when he reached me, I don't remember him saying, you will be a great Hispanic Christian. I don't remember him telling me that I would be a great black Christian. I don't remember him telling me that I would be a great American Christian. I just remember him telling me that he loved me. That he loved me. Wow. 19 years in a church and I didn't feel loved. And he told me he loved me. And that, it shook me to the core. And it will shake the community that you are in right now. The love of God will shake it all up. And it will move those mountains. You won't be counting how many white people or how many black people, or how many Hispanics you have in your church. You'll just be saying, just keep bringing them in, Lord. Just keep bringing them in. Hallelujah. We are called to certain patterns and habits of behavior. 
within the parameters of God's love. And in the moment where our preferences get ahead of God's love, there's an issue. And let me tell you, we can have preferences from one person to the other. We can have all the same style of music, but they didn't play my song. That's the way we're built. That's the way I'm built. I don't know about you guys, but that's the way I'm built. Come on, my daughter does worship at our church. So I'm like, sing this one. She's like, no, we're not doing that one. Sing this one. I don't want to do that one. Please, no, Dad. And you know, because I want to sing, I want my song to be sung. I'm the pastor. (laughs) Sing this one. No, not that one. (laughs) Because we're all built that way. All of us. We're not different. It feels like it. It feels like we're different, but we're not different. We're the same. We're people. People formed by God. Called by God. Saved by our God. We are people. That's it. Habits form character. In James chapter 1 verse 19. I'm going to read through those a little bit. But it says like this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word. (laughs) And not hearers only. Be doers and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Help us, Lord. That's what I say. Help us, Lord. Some of us, um, my wife, she's a Dominican woman, born in the uh, Dominican Republic. Um, her experience is a little different than mine. My, my wife was seven years old when she got saved. And when she got saved, she got saved uh, through the missionary work of the church. And it's a great testimony, and one day she'll, she'll share with you guys. But um, when God called her to ministry, and that's where I met her. I met her at Bible college, and God called her to ministry. God called her to be a missionary to the United States. What? What are you talking about? And through all these, we've been married 22 years. And so through these years that we've been married, we, we realized that it's great. It's not just great, but it's easier. It's great and it's easier to support a mission outside of our area. Because I don't have to learn a language. And I 
I, I don't have to eat their food. <laughs> and I don't have to listen to their music. We'll let somebody else take care of that. So it's easier to give. But, but when the mission field becomes our backyard... When God says, I don't want you to give to it, I want you to do something towards it now. Then what? Do we argue with God? Do we move our church? Well, maybe it's time to move our congregation somewhere else because the community looks different than we do. I wonder what Jesus would do with that I wonder. I wonder if it would hurt his feelings. I wonder, you know, um, I always think that God looks at me with his best eyes. Not like my wife. (laughs) God looks at me, he looks at me slim and, you know. And whatever color he wants me to be that day. And with God, I can speak any language I want. And you know what? He understands me. Isn't that funny? We, we, have a, we have a big challenge because character is not easily formed. Is it? It takes practice. And you may, and, and some of you are, are looking at me and, and you may be saying, Hey man, praise God. Preach it. Let's go reach some people. And some of you are like, are you out of your mind? Do you realize what you're telling us? This is a lot hard. This is hard. This is difficult. What you're telling us, we've never done before. We, we, we don't even know where to start. And I think about those fishermen. And after they see Jesus, they saw Jesus in that room. You know, he walked in and they're like, whoa, he's alive, right? Thomas, he touches, holding his hands and then. A few weeks go by and they're fishing. Jesus shows up to the shore. Really? (laughs) You're fishing? Really? You went back three and a half years? Crucified resurrection and you're fishing for fish. Some of us think, well, you don't know because you're young. And I've been in this church since it started. I put that brick over there. You know? Built it. Built this building. I'm tired. Oh, let me tell you something. What you have inside of you is more powerful than this young guy. However, you have a whole life of experience that we need to hear, that this community needs to feel. It's the truth. The other day I was talking to some young pastors my age. Ah, young pastors, right? <laughs> and we were talking about the millennials. And uh, we, we started a church in May. We're doing all right. You know, we got a, we got a good group. And... Um, a lot of them are millennials, I think. They're, they're younger than I am. So, and they got the kids and stuff. And, 
And I was telling them that what I realized was that the millennial, yes, they like to be on their computers, they like to do video games, they're always on, you know, they don't do Facebook. They do Snapchats and Facebook is like for older folk now, you know, so they, they do all these other different kind of stuff. So, uh, they do what's up. <laughs> and I realized that with them, even though it seemed, it seemed like they're so separated and so by themselves, so secluded. You know, they don't know how to socialize very well because they're so into their, their stuff. I was talking to Ruby, right Ruby? Ruby was, we were talking about this in the car. And Ruby says, and I was telling him, um, but the older generation that didn't grow up with that man, they know how to socialize. You know what happened when we walked into this church? Do you want to know? Can I be, can I be, can I be transparent? Can I be real? Okay. We walked in, right? We got confronted by great people. Rumi, can I say this, Rumi? Is that okay? Yeah. Rumi, Rumi was telling me when we walked in, he said, Whoa! Whoa! He wasn't expecting, man. In fact, he probably thought we were walking into a Hispanic church. He walked in and, and he said, Whoa! But then he said, We're sitting here. No, not here, over there. When you guys were fighting about the cookie. <laughs> and, uh, and he says, man, this, is, this place has so much love. If I could, I would move here and come to this church. That's a, that's a Hispanic millennial. Because they are missing what you have. He looked around and he said, nobody's on their cell phones. And everybody's having conversations. What's that all about? They want what you have. They need what you have. We cut ourselves so short, you know, where... And I almost didn't get out of that car, guys. I almost didn't get out of that car. That means I wouldn't have prayed for Angela. I wouldn't have prayed for her daughter. I wouldn't have talked to her about Jesus Christ. I would have stayed in the car. Because I speak only to Hispanic people. I speak only to my comforts. Lord, help us. So this is the challenge. And I'm not, you know, I'm not here to tell you what to do. God forbid, you know. I'm here to tell you that that it's not over yet. It's not over. There's a great ministry here. And a ministry that is filled with God's love and His Spirit. And it's not over yet. And maybe God's got to do a few things in us. 
to change our mind and, our, and what we think so we can reach some people. But that's okay. Let's let him do that. But it's not over. So Hispanic ministry. Here we go, right? Oh, now he's going to talk about Hispanic ministry. Hispanic ministry is just about the idea or the acceptance that this community is full of Hispanics and we have to reach them. Done. I'm done. And we may not know how to do that just yet, but we can get there. We can get there. Because it's not over yet. It's not over yet. So, pray for me that um, I can show the praises of Him. (laughs) And I can show the excellencies of Him. And the mighty acts of Him. And pray for this church. That we could show the praises of Him and the excellencies of Him and the mighty acts of Him. And if you really want to pray for me, pray that I can get past just the corner of my block. (laughs) Amen? I don't know if you have any questions for me because I want you to have questions. And Pastor, if you want to come up, if, if you have some questions for me, I, I'm here. I'm all open. If you have questions about the Hispanic community, then maybe you don't understand. I will do my best. I got two guys here who, they're pretty Hispanic. <laughs> they can help us answer some of those questions. And um, don't be afraid to ask them. Um, we'll be uh, truthful. We'll tell you how we feel. Because how we feel really isn't that different about how you feel. But we'll tell you. Any questions? Jim. I think it has to do with uh, generations with the Hispanics. First generation Hispanics are not really into counseling. That ain't gonna work. They're like, okay, counseling. Figure it out at home, you know. Second generation may be a little bit more leaning towards it. Yeah, he used to do it. He used to do it. And then third generation, that's our, they're Americans already. They're all there. So it just depends on who you're trying to reach. You know, and then trying to find out where those people are. Yeah, they're just hurting people. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Jim. Yeah. We tend to gravitate toward our people who are like us, culturally, people who have the same language as us. But as we see more and more Hispanics coming into an area, and naturally we just kind of gravitate toward our own, and Hispanics gravitate toward their own. Yeah. 
is there a sense by the Hispanic community that they are not welcomed by a group because there's not a lot of interaction, or do they understand the cultural and the language differences? Do they feel like they're looked down upon, or do they feel equal, or what, what would be that kind of... Do you want to help with that? You don't have to. I can do it if you want. You want? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. But that way, it's not all me. Go ahead. The army is very interesting culture because um, they are, they just say we're the army and this is what it is and everybody's got to follow what we say and that's it. So it doesn't matter if you're so basically if you're from different cultures, we'll figure it out. It'd be great if we could do that as Christians, right? Like we're all Christians and let's, we just got to figure it out. And so that that's, and they don't have a choice. I will say this, um, going back to um, first generation. In America, here, if you're born here, you're first generation American. Okay? And if you stay here, then you kind of just stay first generation American until you end up somewhere else. Well, when a Hispanic comes over, first generation, usually, um, they tend to, yes, when, when it comes to church life, they will tend to f- try to look for people of their same language, things like that. Um, but the growth in America, and I'm going by a statistic that was back in 2003, so I'm a little off. But in 2003, only 4%, 4% of Americans were actually first generation. Four. The rest were second and third, who by now are already adults, and they're here. And these are the people we're actually talking about. They're already, they're, for them, you can argue with them all day. They're Americans. They're here. 
This is their culture. Yeah, they still like the food and they can probably speak two languages, and, but they're here. They're, they're Americans. It's like uh, people will ask me, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm always a little confused because I know because of the color of my skin and my hair and everything and, and I have a certain look, they'll say, oh, where are you from? And I'm going, hmm. Uh, they ask me where I'm from. Okay, then I say, well, I'm Puerto Rican. Ah, you're Puerto Rican. So what part of the island? So I'm not from the island. I'm from Rochester, New York. <laughs> I'm a New Yorker. You see what I mean? Um, I don't, I, the last time I was on the island, we were there six months. My parents tried to move back there uh, when we were, I was about two years old. And we lasted six months. My dad was like, no, I can't get used to it. We came back, came back to the States. <laughs> So I've never been there. I, I've actually never been to Puerto Rico. I've been more to Santo Domingo with my wife. So. Well, I know our media, our media does a, a good job of trying to divide. I don't see black or Hispanics as minority groups. I feel like they're here in America with me. Um, is there anything for Hispanics thinking that they're looked down upon as a minority group? Or do they feel like that they are here with the rest of us? I know that uh, in dealing in ministry, um, there, are, there are some times where if you have a Spanish church that's only Spanish in an English uh, building or in, in a white church, Spanish church in a white church, okay, I, I said it, <laughs> okay, and they're, and they're in here, there may be that feeling comes up very quickly of, they get, they get the best stuff, they, we get the leftovers, they do this, they get, we don't get that. And, and you'll hear, I, I would hear complaints about things like that, and that causes division. But that division is not Christ-like on both sides. So when I meet with pastors or people like that, I say, grow up a little bit, you know. Read your Bible, something. Uh, because, because that's not what God has called us to and those are the things we have to overcome and so but as for um, feeling the Hispanic community does not feel um, less than they don't they don't they're a strong group they, they feel like they can conquer the world they do and, and yeah Um, uh, one word. Love. Love. It's just one word. That's it. Love. Because love causes you to put some things away. I love my wife. 
I, man, I'd do anything for her. So, um, and maybe in the beginning, I didn't love her that much. It's the truth. When you first get married, you think you love them that much, and then you realize, maybe I didn't love her that much. You know, and then through the years, I started to really love her. And all of a sudden, the things that she wanted me to change in the beginning that I just couldn't change. And she gave up and just started praying for me. And all of a sudden, I started to love her, and I started changing things, because I just love her. You know? I, I, I put away those things, and I, started, I, stopped, I stopped acting like a baby, and started, I grew up. I became an adult. You know, putting childish things away, and become an adult. And I know... That's kind of harsh to hear, but we got to go from being a child church to an adult church. And, and love overcomes any boundary. When you see a person, you just see the person, the hurt, the pain, the lost. And you love them. And you bring them in. And trust me, you can ask any Hispanic, even the ones that don't speak English. And I know my son-in-law, he's first generation Mexican. Mexican and he's married to my daughter, my oldest daughter, Pamela. Uh, and I talked to him. He leads a whole group of people, and most of his crew is all Spanish-speaking. But if you go to a Hispanic and you show them love, they feel love. You will go to churches, and you'll find people who are just Hispanic that don't speak English, and they're going to that church. And you're wondering, are they even getting the message? Yeah. They don't understand anything the pastor's saying, but they're receiving love. The message is love. And they go, I, I got to be here. That's what he felt when he walked in. I was like, yeah, you're not staying here, buddy. Come with me. <laughs> but, but that's what he felt when he walked in. You see, because that, that lo- the love language is, is much more powerful than anything else. And so it overcomes those things. You just, we just got to get there. And, and you would think that it would be easy, right? Well, yeah, okay, let's do that. But, I mean, we all have to make a choice. Every person, first we all have to say yes to let's go reach. And then we all have to say yes, I'm going to have to do some sacrificing here. And then your leadership, your pastors, your board, you're going to, they're going to say okay. And, and, then, and then you just got to go and see what happens. And make mistakes and fall on your face and have fun with it. But do it and, and let God do what he's going to do through, through your heart, you know. Right, and that happens. That happens um, racially as well as social economically. You know, it happens. Board is just a human um, thing that we have to deal with. But yeah, you're right about that. 
Absolutely. Um, I know there's a great scripture. I can't remember where it's at right now, but you guys can probably remind me. But there's a scripture where it talks about carrying your brother's burdens, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful scripture if you really study it because it talks about carrying their burdens actually means to, to hold them and hold them up. It means you got all of them. And uh, that's a tough practice, but it could be done. Let me insert something at this point, um, because I think that, um, as we've talked as a board, I think that's the direction we really want to move. And you talked about it, Rick. You know, we're, we're in a community, a lot of Hispanics in our community. We don't look like our community. We should look like our community. And it's about people. We're reaching people in our community. Well, Hispanics are part of our community. How effective are we being at um, reaching them? So it's a challenge for us. Um, just to reach people, and by the people in our community are Hispanic people. So we need to be more intentional. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest thing is not to be afraid. We're, we, I was afraid to talk to that lady. And I think that we all get, we're scared. You know, that this person uh, represents a whole different culture, different language. And sometimes... They, they speak English, but you don't even know that because you think they speak Spanish. You don't even talk to them, you know. So, but it's fear. We have to overcome some fear, you know. Um, instead of thinking we have to go out there and reach Hispanics and become multicultural. If you want to become multicultural, stop saying multicultural. If you want to become multicultural, stop saying Hispanics and just say, let's just reach everybody. And as they come in, we're going to figure out how we're going to serve them. And, and we'll figure it out as they come in. Let's bring them in. And not worry about, you know. Yeah. So. so in our neighborhood, we have big Hispanic parties that can smell the coffee. Yeah. Well, they are regular people, so they may think it weird. <laughs> Maybe just showed up to our party. Somebody had the courage to say what I had. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is that if you do have people you do know in the community who are having parties, and they mention it to you, sacrifice, get there. Get there and be at that party and get to know them 
and eat their food and laugh and eat some of their chile and let it burn your mouth and go, oh my God, and, and go through it. Go through a little bit of pain, you know, and, and get there and, and, and be okay with that. And, you know, just get out there. Um, don't be afraid of their color and don't be afraid of their language. Um, remember that they're afraid too. They're afraid of your color and your language. So let's, let's do them a favor and not be afraid and bring them in. Yeah. So. Um, Rick, uh, just kind of to bring this to a close, could you just kind of tell us what's happening on the district right now, what you're involved in, what's going on district-wide, if you would. Okay. Um, right now we started a, uh, in Greeley, we started a Hispanic ministry. The, um, every church responds differently to this, this work. So in that church, they decided to do a Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Wednesday, Friday Bible study and service for the Hispanic community, and it's bilingual. But on Sunday, everybody comes into the service together. In other words, they, they still try to do something that might kind of helps them, you know, with their Spanish music or helps them get involved somehow with each other, but they bring all the group together on, on Sunday. Um, in, uh, and that's Pastor Haddix's church. Uh, Pastor Runner in Thornton, he is, uh, it's, it's a whole separate ministry and all Spanish. So, and honestly, we're working on it and we're still working on it. We're still working on it. It's not that easy, you know. The dynamic is a little different. So, we're struggling a little bit, but I, I think that we'll, we'll be able to overcome because there's so many so many people there. So um, they're, they're dealing with that. Um, there's a, in, we went to Delta, and they're getting ready to start some ministry. And they're a little different too, because they have cowboy churches, and they got all these different kind of things going on. But um, because of their, they're not city. And their towns are like, they have a lot of migrant workers that come in. They come in for a season, and then they're out. You know, so they're trying to figure out how to do that. How to minister to them, maybe in a seasonal way, to that community. In Mona Vista, they're kind of like what you guys are talking about. They don't want to do, you know, um, they want to do multicultural. So, they, they are, they, since I went to go speak to them, now they have two or three Hispanic families starting to come in. And they're doing specific outreach, like on Friday nights they do basketball for the community. And 95% of the kids are Hispanic because they're going to come play ball. It's free. You know? We're go play ball. You know, in the gym, especially when it's snowing, there's a gym that we can go play basketball. And so they, they go. And so they're using that as a connection to try to bring people in to their uh, community of faith. Um, but at the same time, because they also have migrant workers, they're trying to see what they can do to start that as well. So there, it's really based on your, the need and your town and what's happening here. But uh, that's basically where we're at right now. Pueblo um, is starting a bilingual ministry. So um, separate on its own, but within the church. Um, because Pueblo is like 65% Hispanic. Hispanic. Okay? And that doesn't mean they speak Spanish. It just means they're 65% Hispanic. You know, Pueblo. So that's what we're doing. 
All right. All right. Well, thanks for being with us today. Um, we're excited. We're excited. I hope we're excited. Great, great, great. It's been good to be together. We've got a community to reach. And um, it doesn't matter what color their hair is or what their country of origin is, although, like you said, Rick, a lot of them, their country of origin is the same as ours. (laughs) And um, they're just part of the community that God's called us to reach, and we need to be faithful to that. Well, uh, let let me have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed and... and, uh, on our way today. Father, thank you for the way you've ministered to our hearts, um, for the way you've challenged us. We are all people, people that Jesus loves. And you've called us to love others in the name of Jesus. And Father, if there are fears, uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to overcome those fears, to risk our comfort, to share Jesus with people, whoever they may be so that um, they can know and love and experience the redemptive work of Christ in their lives just as we have. Thank you for Rick and his ministry across our district. We pray that that will be a growing ministry that will produce fruit for the kingdom all across Colorado. Bless us now as we go, Father. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.